One of my life lessons uh, to teach myself is I want to be as generous as I can. Generosity is kind of my thing. Uh, and when it comes to honorarium, I'm hoping you'll understand that. But anyway, uh, here is uh, uh, my favorite book about, about generosity. Uh, so I thought I'd share this with you. Do, you. do you know Robert Munch? These are wonderful stories. He had some wonderful books. He's a Canadian guy who worked in a uh, uh, children's, um, what do you call it, where they, they take care of kids during a daycare center. And he had to, had to make a story up for the kids every day. So these are the stories he made up. This is a story called We Share Everything. On their very first day of school, Amanda, when they didn't know what to do, was your first day of school like that? Look at this mess. Bye. Amanda and Jeremiah walked into the building in the kindergarten classroom, and Amanda picked up a book. Jeremiah came over and said to her, give me that book. Amanda said, no, I'm not going to give you this book. I'm looking at this book. So Jeremiah tried what worked with his little brother. He said, if you don't give me that book, I'm going to yell and scream. Too bad, said Amanda. So Jeremiah opened his mouth really wide, and he screamed, Ah! Amanda stuck the book in his mouth. <laughs> that shut him up. <clears throat> Jeremiah said, Whoop. The teacher came running over and said, Now look, this is kindergarten. In kindergarten, we share. We share everything. And Amanda and Jeremiah said, Okay, okay, okay. Jeremiah started to build a tower with blocks. Amanda came over and said, Give me those blocks. I won't give you the blocks, said Jeremiah. I'm building a tower. So Amanda tried what worked with her older brother. She said, if you don't give me those blocks, I'm going to kick the tower down. Too bad, said Jeremiah. So Amanda kicked the blocks. Crash! Blocks went all over the floor. Amanda yelled, ow, 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 ouch! And the teacher came running over and said, now look, this is kindergarten. In kindergarten, we share. We share everything. Okay, 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 said Jeremiah and Amanda. Then Jeremiah and Amanda went to play with the paint. I'm first, said Jeremiah. No, I'm first, said Amanda. If you don't let me go first, said Jeremiah, I'm going to yell and scream. Too bad, said Amanda. So Jeremiah and Amanda were both first, and paint went flying all over the place. Jeremiah yelled as loud as he could, Ah! The teacher came running over, and all the kids came running over and said, Now look, this is kindergarten. In kindergarten, we share everything. So Jeremiah looked at Amanda and said, Okay, we're supposed to share. What are we going to share? I don't know, said Amanda. Let's share, let's share, let's share our shoes. Oh, good idea, said Jeremiah. 
So they shared their shoes. And Jeremiah said, look at this, pink shoes. And they fit me just right. My mom never lets me get pink shoes. This is great. Let's share, let's share, let's share our shirts. So they shared their shirts. And Jeremiah said, look at this, a pink shirt. No other boy in kindergarten has a pink shirt. Yes, said Amanda, this is fun. Let's share, let's, let's share our pants. So they shared their pants. The teacher came back and said, Oh, Jeremiah and Amanda, you're sharing, and you're learning how to be act in kindergarten, and you're being very grown up, and Jeremiah, I really like your pink pants. <laughs> Jeremiah, where are, did you get these pink pants? Oh, said Jeremiah, it's okay. Amanda and I shared our clothes. The teacher yelled, what have you done? Who said you could share your clothes? And all the kids said, now look, this is kindergarten. In kindergarten, we share everything. <laughs> Do you think that's what the teacher meant? I don't think so, but it was still a good idea. Anyway, all right, thank you for coming up. Huh? Yeah, yeah. All right, let me see if I can get up. <laughs> up. All right. You can go back where you prefer to sit. You don't have to sit up there if you don't want to. <laughs> All right. I like Robert Munch's stories. He's got a story about the paper bag princess. If you haven't read that one, you need to. It's, it's an amazingly good story. Uh, let's see. I can get rid of this microphone. We'll use that one. All right. I'm not a big fan of these. Uh, always makes me feel like something's calling my, my ear. So. In the Sunday school class, we, we went through... Uh, uh, number of years ago called The Power of Enough. Uh, and it's surprising in the world today and the people we... Uh, in fact, I, I, I remember my mother saying, you know, I've had about enough of you uh, at one point. But that was the only positive, or I guess it was a negative way of using that word. It's also very interesting to me how many people... Uh, in our world today, uh, don't understand, well, I don't know what you would call it, um, uh, generosity or peace or however you want to say that. Uh, I did a lot of traveling for a long time. Uh, this started about 1991. You are, by the way, as far as I can remember, number, church number 248 that I preached at about stewardship. And uh, one time, uh, we live in Bluffton, Ohio. Uh, it's not working? Closer? Okay. We live in Bluffton, Ohio. The nearest airport is in Dayton, Ohio. So I drove down to Dayton. Uh, one I was supposed to preach on a Saturday in uh, Newton, Kansas. Uh, drove down there on a Friday morning and noticed on the board that the flight to Chicago, and then you transfer from there to Wichita, was going to be late. Uh, so, okay. So I got to the gate and then found out that that flight had been canceled. Now, nobody is flying from Chicago to Wichita. There were storms. Uh, so they canceled the flight from Dayton, why I don't know, to Chicago. And they said, well, maybe we can get you. I said, I've got to go to Newton, Kansas. Well, how about if we get you to Kansas City? We might be able to do that. So they rearranged everything. So I got on the plane, flew to Chicago, walked off, and noticed right next door, the next gate, was a flight leaving to Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is about the same distance from Kansas City to Wichita. 
So I talked my way onto that flight. They had one seat left. You can't get on if you've checked luggage. Who checks luggage anymore? I don't check luggage. It never goes where I go, so why bother? <laughs> so I got on that, uh, that flight, and I got off the flight, and I'm walking in Tulsa. It's late, late, uh, not too late, but in the evening. And I'm walking down the Chetway to the rental car place because I have to rent a car to drive to, to Wichita next to a, a middle-aged businesswoman, obviously well-dressed businesswoman with a, with a, uh, a suit bag. Right? And I said, where are you headed? And she said, Wichita. I said, great, I'm going to Wichita too. We could share a car. Turned out we had one car left at the Hertz rental car. And, she, and I said, but I'm not coming back. I have to leave the car there. She said, well, I have to come back to Tulsa, so I'll rent the car and you can ride with me. That's great. Uh, hey, don't turn down a free ride, right? Uh, I didn't grow up Mennonite, but I know what it means to be you know, <laughs> frugal, right? So we got the last car and headed toward Wichita, and I knew that the questions were coming. First question. Well, she, I, she said, well, what do you believe? What's, what do Mennonites believe? And I've learned a long time ago that people have different opinions about who Mennonites are. And so I said to her what I usually say, well, we believe that um, Jesus meant what he said. And for some strange reason, we think he's talking to us today. It's not just a historical exercise. It's a living faith with a living Lord. Uh, and she said, oh, that's very interesting. Uh, and I said, and, and, uh, why, and so why are you going to Wichita? I said, well, I'm a Mennonite minister, and I'm going to be speaking at this conference. I said, and you, why are you going to Wichita? She said, well, I'm the regional communications director for the National Rifle Association, and I'm going to go to Wichita to speak out about the importance of self-defense and the owning of firearms. And I thought, this, this is going to be a really interesting ride. Normally, I get questions on airplanes. They see this, why is this Amishman doing on an airplane? Oh, I'm Mennonite. Oh, and once in a while, somebody says, well, does that mean you're a pacifist? Now, I know if I say yes, then there's an argument coming against it, right? And I spent 10 years in the military. I went to Vietnam twice. I know what war is. And I always say now, no, 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 I'm not a pacifist. It's worse. I'm an enemy-loving Jesus follower. And usually people say, oh, well, he did say that. Uh-huh, kind of. Well, anyway, on this ride to Wichita, this woman and I got into this argument about, you know, how you treat enemies. And I told her the story, Linda and I living in Chicago, walking to church on East, West, East, East Garfield Park, walking to church one morning. We got held up at gunpoint in an alley just behind, right to the church. We'd gotten this phone call. The pastor's wife's mother had died, and we needed to get there. She was going to wanted us to help her daughter get to school. So we were walking in this alley, and I stopped to pick up a nail, a uh, roofing nail. You know, roofing nails always land this way, right? You're going to find that out next week, right? And this is not a good neighborhood to have a flat tire in. So I picked it up. I stood up. There's a guy standing in front of me with a ski mask on, which is your first clue. There are no ski slopes in East Garfield Park. <laughs> this guy is not going skiing. And then I saw the pistol. It was a little Saturday Night Special chrome right about here. It wasn't a very big gun, but the hole in the, the barrel was about that big because it was right there. And he said, give me your money. And I said, look, I don't have money. Don't carry money here. We, you know, we're volunteers. We work at this church. They don't give us any money as volunteers. Well, they give you a little bit. Uh, he said, well, not impressed by that. He said, give me your money or I'll shoot. I said, look, I don't have any money, but if you come to church with us, there are people there. Maybe they have money. <laughs> so, you could rob them, right? 
but you have to leave your gun in the bushes. We don't allow guns in the church. Uh, and he said, give me your money or I'll shoot. Uh, right about then, my wife, Linda, who's a very, very kind person, would never say anything um, negative to a person, no matter what they have in their hand. And she said, listen, we don't have time for this. We're going to visit a woman whose mother just died. And she turned around and walked off. <laughs> Left me standing there with this guy with his gun in my face. Well, the gun wasn't pointed at her. It was pointed at me. And she remembered when we got married, till death do us part. Yeah, uh-huh. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that's next. <laughs> so, so I said to him, boy, I'm sorry. I can't do anything about her. Why don't you come with us? We'll see what we can get for you in the church. Because we got clothing and food and, and that kind of stuff. And I turned around and followed her. And I remember thinking, this is going to hurt. I have just re- disrespected a guy in his own neighborhood. Uh, and he's got the gun. And I got to church and turned around. He was running the other way. And I told this woman this story. And I said, look, it sounds, seems to me in my experience that if you, are, if you respond to a threat with generosity, come with us, see what we can get for you, maybe it doesn't have to end with kill or be killed. Because see, that's what she said to me. Look, this pacifism stuff doesn't work. It's kill or be killed out there. You need to have a gun. And I told her that story, and I said, look, maybe if you respond with generosity, you don't have to defend yourself. And she said something I will never forget. She said, listen, buddy, if you don't defend yourself, sooner or later, somebody's going to take advantage of you. And I said to her, yeah, you're right. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Our willingness to be taken advantage of. First of all, by God. God wants to use us in situations like East Garfield Park, where it's not safe, where it can be dangerous, Willow, Alaska, the crazy places that God sends us. Not necessarily with MDS or MCC. We spent three years in Africa. That was a wonderful experience. I got back home, and one of my relatives said, well, did you meet any savages in Africa? I said, only the missionaries, honey. Only the Well, they weren't that bad, but... No, God wants to send us places that are not safe. That's a very interesting concept that we don't get in our culture. Safety for us means carrying a gun or having lots of money or living in a fortress. But that's not what God is asking. And that's part of the story of First Fruits Living. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 4, where God has this strange uh, language. about it's, it's, It has to do with the with the offering, with the, well, not quite yet, but the offering. And it says in, the, in the chapter 4, verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, something had been grown. And Abel brought for his part for the firstlings of the flock their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. Now the word offering there is a, is a Hebrew word named bekor, B-E-K-O-R, and if you print it out in English, bekor. And it means something which is first, anything which is first. Some, something you find, something you grow, something you earn, the first part of. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, which was from the fruit of the ground, but not Cain's offering. And the question has always been sort of why. Well, grain, uh, grain the wave offering, is nothing second class. That was a first class offering. And so from that language of Bikor simply means that something which is first, and we find out why that's important 
We're not quite sure why he didn't, re didn't uh, regard Cain's offering. But we do find out in Exodus chapter 13 what the difference is. The Lord says to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is first to open the womb among the Israelites of human beings and of animals is mine. You get that? Things which are first, God lays a claim of ownership to. And then in verse uh, 11, God gets even more strict about it, if you want to put it that way. When the Lord has brought you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your ancestors, and has given to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the first of the womb, something which is born first. All the firstborn of your livestock that are males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of donkey you shall redeem with a sheep, with a lamb. If you do not redeem it, you must break its neck. Kill it if you don't redeem it. Every firstborn male among your children you shall redeem. There's no talk about killing there. I mean, after, you know, I was a teenager once. You know, I'm not sure when I turned 13, uh, there were some thoughts in my father's head about killing me. Well, maybe not killing, but no. You will redeem the firstborn of your males because God owns them. So the lesson from the Old Testament about first fruits is that God owns everything which is first. Everything which is first belongs to God. Now, we're not stuck in the Old Testament. We are people of what I would call the fulfillment. Jesus said, I didn't come, right, to, to do away with the law. I came to what? Fulfill. The word plero means um, to finish something. When Linda and I built a house in West Liberty, Ohio, uh, we had uh, window quilts. They're wonderful. It's a great big roll of quilted material that comes down and seals off the window in the winter and in the summer. Keeps it cool in the summer, warm in the winter. But they're kind of ugly, so I put a valence, something like those, over the window, and except for one on the north end of the house. I, I didn't get around to it. I don't know, your kids ever give you a plate, round to it? Here, Dad, finish the job. Here's the round to it, right? Well, we sold that house uh, and moved to Chicago, and I finished the house. I, I fulfilled, that's the word, playro. It means to complete something. Not to start over, but to finish the way you had originally designed. That's what Jesus does to the law. And if you're looking in, in uh, the, the New Testament, you see all over the place the language of the first fruits. Everything that belongs to God, right, is, everything that is first belongs to God. So in Corinthians 15, Jesus is the firstborn, right, of the dead, right? He is raised from the dead. He is the offering of God to us to eliminate our fear of death. We don't have to fear death anymore because we know now Jesus was raised from the dead. In Romans chapter 8, there's also a first fruit giving the Spirit. God gives us the Spirit to live with us so we're not alone. I'm very interested in human psychology. It turns out that, that the fear of uh, all the fears that we have being alone is one of the strongest ones. Just don't want to be alone. That's why people join groups, even negative groups, like, I don't know, Hell's Angels or groups like that, where everybody wants to belong to something. And then finally, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about Christ is the firstborn. He is the first of the church. He is the first of creation, right? So we are given Christ as, as our Savior and other first fruits. But God's not finished giving gifts it's very interesting that we as Christians have everything we need. We don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear being alone. We don't have to fear sin, punishment for sin, because Christ paid for that, right? Those are all first fruit gifts. 
But people who don't know Christ, has, they haven't accepted that. They don't have those first fruit gifts from, from God. So God has a gift for them. In James 1.18, there's some very interesting language from all the way uh, to the first part of James 1. talks about people who go through trouble. Some people get better, some people get worse. And finally, in verse 18, he says, In the exercise of his will, God has given us to the rest of the creation as his first fruit offering. That's what I tried to explain to that NRA executive. I said, listen, we are an offering to the rest of the world. Not, not just our money, not, not just our time, but us, our lives are an offering. And there's lots of ways we can do it. Uh, some of us do it with Mennonite Disaster Service. Uh, and don't worry, they'll send you the strangest places <laughs> to the strangest jobs, uh, and maybe at the last minute, too. I mean, I got a call. It was a Monday morning I got the call. How soon can you be in Anchorage? Somebody had canceled. They needed a, they needed a, uh, a crew leader, somebody to work with Becca, Bella. I mean, it had to be Bella, but I'm telling you, we worked together well, didn't we? Yes. I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't got there. They called Monday morning. I was there Tuesday afternoon. A very sort of strange flight. That was kind of fun. I get called all the time by MDS. And last, uh, what, last month ago, I was in Pollocksville, North Carolina. Another, another kind of strange job. We were taking advantage. This is one of my opening, um, what do you call them, devotions to the MDS volunteers. Sooner or later, someday, you're going to feel like you're being taken advantage of. It happens all the time. Uh, in Pollocksville, we were... Being working under the uh, leadership of the Methodist Church, UMCOR, United Methodist uh, Committee on uh, Rebuilding. Uh, and some of those jobs we never should have been doing. We were being taken advantage of. They had nothing to do with the hurricane, Hurricane Florence. They just jobs that needed to be done. Somebody should have done them, but that's not really MDS's mandate. And so I said, look, to that group, you are going to feel like you're being taken advantage of this month because we're doing things that we probably shouldn't be doing. Don't worry about it. That's why God sends us places to be taken advantage of, because we are a first fruit offering to people who need us. It's very common uh, to ask in our culture, yes, they need help, but do they deserve it? That's a very common response. It's a response that I have, and I've learned to sort of shortcut, eliminate that question, not do they deserve it, but do they need it? All through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are given gifts because we need them, not because we deserve them. Those of us, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we are given grace, we are given salvation, not because we deserve it, but because we need it. We have been redeemed by the Lamb. Remember that language back in Exodus? If you use something which is first, right, you must redeem it with a Lamb. So how does that been fulfilled in the New Testament? Jesus is the Lamb of God. Right? He is given to us as a fruit, first fruit offering. We have all kinds of problems, but I'm convinced that if we understand ourselves as an offering instead of a victim which is a very common in our society. Understand ourselves as an offering to be used, yes, even to be taken advantage of. Then I think the glory to God can, can, can show itself. And I've seen that over and over and over again. Now, I was a pastor for seven years, and we had a really interesting 
problem, I think, not a problem as a church. We had worship surveys. Got to have worship surveys. What do we like about our worship service, right? Once in a while, Linda and I go to a Catholic mass. Don't, don't be offended. We, we go to mass. We go to Portugal sometime. We've been there four to five times walking on this pilgrimage called the Camino. And these churches are jammed on Sunday. And the really neat thing about the Catholic mass is, is that nobody asks you if you like it. It's, it's like the, the college professor who is an English, um, uh, English literature course. And if he, it's an open book, final exam with everybody in the room. First question on the board, which reading assignment did you find least interesting this semester? And while everybody, yeah, you can't get that wrong, you know, that's personal opinion. And they're writing down these answers. And then he put up the second question. To what defect in your intellectual life do you attribute this appalling lack of interest? <laughs> well, someday I'm going to do a worship service in a Mennonite church, and it's going to sound like that. What part of our worship service do you find least spiritually invigorating? Second question. To what defect in your spiritual life do you attribute this lack of inspiration? I'm sorry, people. Worship is not designed to please us. Now, we, have, we like different kinds of songs. And if you want to start a new Mennonite church, just change the style of singing. You'll have another church immediately. I, I've noticed that. But that's because we think that we are to be pleased with what happens on Sunday morning. The church of Jesus Christ is not designed to please us. It's designed to please God. And I think that happens most when we understand ourselves as an offering to God. And, that come, and then from that comes our generosity. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we understand ourselves way too often as victims, as people who need more, who people who are falling behind, and way too less as people who are offerings people who are willing to be taken advantage of, and people who are willing to be used to bring glory to you. Bless us this day, this Sabbath, as we sit and worship you. And help us think not what we like, but what you want. For we want to be used by you as offerings. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.